Welcome to our podcast. Good news, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome to Hedge TV, where I have hedge fund manager Eric Townsend. He's also the host of Macro Voices. That's the thing that I've been uh, happy to appear on a couple more than a couple times now. It's probably going to be the next time, I guess, Eric. But thinking, thanks, thanks for coming on again. It's nice to uh, turn the tables here a little bit and just uh, start to get into your to your own mind on, on a big topic, which is Bitcoin. Oh, it's my pleasure, and we definitely appreciate not just you, but your colleagues from Hedgeye. You're some of our most popular guests on Macro Voices. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate that. Uh, it's one big love fest when we talk back and forth. But on Bitcoin, I don't know if you and I have uh, all the love in the world. Uh, I, I guess, you know, I think the main reason why we wanted to have this discussion, obviously there's been um, some more than some volatility in Bitcoin as of late, some constipation, you know, in, in terms of expectations on how high the price might go. But I think that what we really want to do is have a conversation about how this actually works. Um, so maybe if you want to start there, how, you, how, how you'd characterize how Bitcoin works. Something I don't think most people understand is just how crazy the design of this thing is. Bitcoin is based on a distributed ledger technology called blockchain. You've probably heard lots about blockchain. You've probably seen that there's all these people buying these crypto mining rigs, super expensive, fancy computers. And people would naturally tend to think, well, it's a super expensive, fancy computer. That must mean that all of that computing horsepower goes into making the thing just super duper secure, really tight cryptography, something that makes it super secure. That's not how it works. Believe it or not, the way the blockchain protocol works is about once every 10 minutes, a new global network-wide contest starts. And the contest is to see who can waste the most computing resources in the shortest amount of time. I swear, Keith, I'm not making this up. If you uh, don't believe me, read section four of the Bitcoin white paper, and it explains this. It's called proof of work. And the idea is this. The whole strategy of Bitcoin is if there were somehow a uh, majority of participants in the network, if the majority of participants were all bad guys that were conspiring with each other to cheat, they would be able to do so. So how do you make sure that the bad guys don't take over the whole network? Well, the way they did it, and it was a perfectly valid choice for somebody who's doing a prototype, which is where I think this actually started, is they said, okay, if we make sure that everybody has to do this ridiculously unnecessary but difficult math problem called proof of work, what we'll do is we'll make it so that if somebody were trying to take over the network by being you know, more than half of the participants, they wouldn't be able to afford enough computers to waste that much computing horsepower. <laughs> That's how it works. No kidding. And it's actually not a bad idea if you're designing a prototype. You say, how do I make sure that you know, one kid in the dorm doesn't you know, buy three computers and outnumber the, the other kids? Well, you just do these really big math problems. If you're trying to scale that to a global payment system, it's retarded. And that's the reason you hear these stories about the Bitcoin network consuming more electricity yeah. than entire nations. 
it's entirely true and it's not necessary in order to somehow you know do some calculation that makes it safe it's necessary in order to do a calculation that intentionally is designed to slow the network down to the point that no one bad guy could afford to buy enough computers to outnumber all the other guys on the network that's the only reason for it now there are people already that have looked at the same problem and designed better solutions. They've said, well, wait a minute, you know, instead of slowing the network down intentionally, what if we used some kind of you know, other computer science protocol in order to solve this problem? Uh, in the white paper that I wrote about this, I describe one guy that, uh, that came up with something called Hashgraph. Now, Hashgraph is not quite in the same space. It's a proprietary system, whereas blockchain is open source. Bitcoin is something that everybody in the world can look at the source code to. Hashgraph is a proprietary product. So it's really not apples to apples. But the point is, if somebody can design a proprietary product that is not based on this asinine contest to waste as much electricity as possible every 10 minutes. And that's how blockchain works. I'm not making it up. Yeah, that's right. If somebody can do that in a proprietary system, it's only a matter of time before somebody is going to do the public domain thing. So you know there's got to be something better than blockchain coming. Now, they do have this thing called Lightning Protocol, which is basically people acknowledging, saying, look, blockchain is so ridiculously slow. What if we had a parallel system that would essentially, if you think about how uh, internalizers work in the stock market, you've got the real actual stock exchange where things are changing hands. Mm -hmm. But then brokers are allowed to use these internalizers that basically go by what the price was in the stock market, and they execute the same transaction off the market in order to supposedly be more efficient, although actually they're, they're picking your pocket for a penny at a time when they do that. Uh, this Lightning Network is essentially the same thing. It's acknowledging that the blockchain network is not scalable. It's not designed in a way which is suitable for the task ahead of it. So they're coming up with a kludge, basically, to work around it. What happens when somebody comes up with a better way of doing it? So my point is, all Bitcoin is, you know, it's funny because the Bitcoiners will disparagingly talk about, well, it's a lot better than fiat currency. Well, it's true that Bitcoin is not fiat currency. Fiat currency is currency that has zero intrinsic value, but it is declared by some government to have value. Bitcoin's the same thing, except it doesn't have the declaration of any government. It's just plain zero intrinsic value, period, end of story. Now, Bitcoin is popular. That's the only reason, because it's the thing that everybody has heard of. People are willing to pay for it, and it is limited in its supply. There's only 21 million Bitcoins that can ever be created in the history of the world, and that's... Uh, you know, th that's what creates this scarcity concept. The thing is, you know, it's open source code. Anybody could just copy it and you can make Keith coin, which is exactly the same idea, <laughs> works exactly the same way, uses the same code, and you can make 21 million Keith coins. There's also this idea of hard forks. That's how we got from Bitcoin to now there's original Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash. You know, think about what happened to Coca-Cola in the 90s. Remember there was like Coke and Coke Classic and Coke Zero and coke something else, you could have all these different variants of Bitcoin that are just forks in the blockchain. So, you know, there's really nothing that is actually, people will, will say what well, mathematically recreates the scarcity of precious metals. That's baloney. It, it, it is a artificially constrained thing. There's nothing that stops you or I or anybody else from going and inventing our own currency. And you can see the trend is 
everybody who's looked at this and sees how retarded it is, you and I are the dumbest guys. We're the ones that are publicly on television saying, it's retarded, it's a dumb idea. Everybody else who can see this is going and saying, I'm going to create Keithcoin. I'm going to create Litecoin. The Litecoin yeah. guys go, oh, why do Bitcoin? Let's do Litecoin. Let's do Coin Plus. Let's do Coin Minus. Let's do you know, something else. And then there's all these ICOs, which are just tokens that you could use to buy some product or service that you know, somebody or might or not, might not want. It, it doesn't make any sense. And it has created this mania. It, and it's now bigger than the tulip mania in the 1600s in terms of price appreciation over time. And, uh, you know, is it over? I hope so, but who knows? We'll see what happens. My point, though, is the way it works doesn't make sense. If you really think that cryptocurrencies are the future, there's going to be a better one. Bitcoin is going to be forgotten. And that's the reason I liken it to the right flyer, the first airplane huge moment in history when the Wright brothers flew. But guess what? You go to an airport today, you don't see any Wright flyers. Nobody uses these things anymore because it was a prototype. It was never suitable for more than being a prototype. The same thing is true of blockchain. It's a prototype. It's not good for anything beyond that. But it has created this just global mania, and it's crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I speak to a lot of people on this, obviously. We have... Uh people who are entrenched in it, people who've avoided it, uh, all different kinds of people, obviously. But even what you'll find is even the, um, I guess, the blockchain technology or crypto bulls, they're not even fully convinced here at this point that Bitcoin itself is the better path forward. And that's why you're seeing all these different things like Hashgraph, you know, things that are effectively speeding up the problem, which is, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a software with a massively slow uh, I guess, slow network that requires a, a massive amount of energy. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to have somebody actually articulate, you know, the way you do, um, where you think this thing fits. The first prototype of distributed ledger is called blockchain. It's like the right flyer. It's this really amazing piece of history that will never be forgotten. But that doesn't mean you or I are stupid enough to go get on a right flyer and try to fly the thing. <laughs> There's been progress since then. we got better airplanes now. And uh, I, I think that what people should be thinking about is, first of all, in terms of distributed ledgers, there's going to be a big future for a lot of things in finance being changed so that by design, even if the bankers are corrupt, if you have a control fraud and the management of the bank wants to hack its own computer system, they can't do it because they don't have access to it any more than anybody else does. That kind of design innovation is going to change the world. For sure. But it doesn't mean Bitcoin is still going to be a, a meaningful anything. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I think you really have to think about, and this is um, something where I, I think it's a real tragedy, is Bitcoin was conceived by these libertarian guys who think that it is such a great idea to have a currency which, uh, you know, it's impossible for the government to freeze it. It's impossible for the IRS to uh, monitor your transactions, to seize your account, to do any of that stuff. And they very naively think that because they invented this technology, they're going to al be allowed to have their own currency. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine if you invented some really cool new paper for printing currency on, and it's, you know, it's got holograms and it's super secure and all this stuff. Well, you could easily sell that to a lot of different governments, uh, you know, treasuries in order to let them print their money. But guess what? If you say, hey, 
Keith's going into the currency business. I'm going to start my own currency, and everybody's going to use that. And we're not going to let the government have the seniorage on their own currency. We're going to create our own. You know, there's these handcuffs and jails and stuff they have for guys that do that. And, you know, people say, well, but but nobody's going to jail for this. The governments are famously slow and inefficient. They haven't figured out how to get their heads around this yet. They don't know that it poses a threat to them. It does pose a threat to them. And I think that the real tragedy here is the people that invented these technologies are going to be co-opted. Governments are going to steal the technology. They're going to create digital currencies, which probably will be the future. I think there's a huge future for digital currencies, but they will be state-backed, controlled, and designed by the government, and it'll be the exact opposite of Bitcoin. The future currency is the one I call the Orwell, and it's the exact opposite of Bitcoin. The way it works is every single transaction has to have a tax ID in it. And uh, if it's an international transaction, there can be an international tax ID. So it's your social security number plus a country code. And, you know, if it's a different country code, it's whatever the tax ID is in that country. And every single transaction can be monitored and controlled. What it, the sender of the funds, it's got a, a country code that says what jurisdiction that guy is in. Whatever government owns that country code can audit the transaction, can seize the transaction, can claw back the transaction, can reverse it. And, you know, you see people like Ken Rogoff uh, talking about how we need to ban cash and, uh, you know, they, they want to enable, primarily they want to enable negative interest rates as a monetary policy tool. The way you do that is you eventually get to either national currencies or even a, a global currency, mm -hmm. which is fully digital, it is backed by and controlled by governments. And all the Bitcoin guys are, are mad at me now. They say, you son of a bitch, that's the opposite of the whole point. Yeah, it's the opposite of your whole point. You know, imagine that you invented an assault rifle that you could fire into a crowd and it would never, ever injure any hardworking person, but it would yeah. kill government bureaucrats every time. Guess what? They would outlaw that, that weapon. You wouldn't be allowed to have it. They're going to do the same thing to your Bitcoin. They're going to steal your technology innovations and inventions, and they're going to create government-controlled digital currencies that are exactly the opposite in terms of the libertarian values that went into Bitcoin. Now, that's so a super I, interesting just, point. I mean, a lot of people, uh, our own Neil Howe, our chief demographer, um, is quite inspired by this idea of FedCoin. You know, it's the same thing, like your, your point about you know, whether you call it FedCoin or Orwell. I mean, it really is interesting that you position it that way because somebody like me, and I mean, I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat, which means I'm probably a little bit more libertarian and nobody cares. I mean, to, to, to the extent that you, you tell me that now I've, I've had a system that's empowered the government to print money faster and take away cash faster and take away, again, all of my liberties that were associated with having any control over my purchasing power whatsoever, you know, and you really think it through. I mean, it's hard to think through why you're wrong on that. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, why wouldn't the Ken Rogoffs and the Ben Bernankes of the world want to not? Why wouldn't they want this? Of course they would want this. I just wonder, um, you know, the timing on that is what it is. I, I, I also wonder on the volatility of it all. I mean, at the end of the day, um, just because you're libertarian, by the way, doesn't mean that you want to have like 50 to 80 vol on a currency. Uh, look at the volatility on this thing. I mean, it's like I don't think that libertarians are are pro volatility. You know, we're we're pro making money, and that's you know again having some risk management to what we do. And again, when I think about some of these things that have been flying around in price lately, I mean, it's the antichrist 
of risk management, obviously. But how would you think about the timing of that? Like, how, like I mean, it's almost an impossible question to answer, I suppose, in terms of mm-hmm. you know FedCoin and, and its introduction. Or would it start with a, a regulation of the current you know, system so that it slows down enough so that the government can catch up? I think that we are maybe at the beginning of a new arms race, if you will, a space race of digital currencies. And the ultimate goal, and I think the PBOC already sees this, the real win is if you come up with the digital currency that can become the new reserve currency that Ah, replaces the U.S. dollar as the world's global reserve currency. If you can somehow get that, that is the prize. Yeah, you're saying it's it's an arms race between countries. It could be any country that can come up with you know, the perfect digital currency that has timestamps and has, like you says, tax ID numbers. Anyone, really. Well, and it, if you think about how an arms race goes, it's an arms race between nations, but it's also an arms race between defense contractors. Mm-hmm. There are people who are designing the weapon systems and selling them to the various governments and so forth. I think that if you look at, uh, a lot of people can see that the U.S. dollar's hegemony is the world's global reserve currency. Its days are numbered, and I don't mean it's ending tomorrow, or the dollar's going to crash, or any of that other nonsense that you read in the internet. I mean, in the next 20 years, it's really dubious in my mind that the dollar can continue to hold global reserve currency hegemony over the world economy. There's a lot of people that are pissed off about that, don't want it to continue. So I think the the big game is, how do you get there? Now, if you were just a government that's trying to have a bunch of government employees design a currency and hire you know, government employees to be the programmers to develop the software, you're probably not going to be leading edge enough on doing that. I think the real technology win, if you want to know what I would be tempted to invest in, although it definitely does not uh, you know, help our libertarian values, it's kind of selling out to the bad guys. It, it's not Bitcoin and blockchain. It's if somebody comes along that does a really good job of designing a better distributed ledger, a better uh, currency, and they say, look, we're going to come up with the thing that is just so perfect, it's going to make you know, Ken Rogoff salivate, it's going to make everybody so excited, the IRS is going to love it because it allows them to track and trace and control everything about everybody's life, and then we're going to sell it to the highest bidder. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's... That's the company that, and and PBOC seems to be trying to front run this, hiring their own blockchain engineers. Are they going to do in-house development, or are they just specking something out that they're going to go and and put out to bid? Uh, I don't know, but I think that where this eventually goes is people will figure out that the dollar's days are numbered as global reserve currency, and a global digital reserve currency is the logical replacement. Whoever controls that, it's like the space race in the 60s. The Soviets and the Americans knew whoever controls space has this massive, massive military advantage. And so they both made up nonsense stories to tell their citizens about how it was supposedly for science and whatever, and had space programs that were really about developing military advantage. I think what's happening around the world, quietly behind closed doors, is people are saying, how do we take the technology that was invented by these Bitcoin libertarian nutcases and turn it into something that's going to create the Orwell type of currency that becomes the global reserve currency to replace the dollar and is controlled by governments. And I think the way you sell that, 
I was trying to sell it. I used to run a software company. I'd say, you make it so that all the governments want in on it. If it's something where every transaction has this idea of a uh, an international tax ID, which is a combination of, say, uh, a country code, like we have a, a country code in the telephone system. One is U.S. and Canada. So one means United States. In that case, the subfield, the, the tax ID is your social security number or tax ID number. Mm -hmm. If it's Great Britain is, you know, country code number two, and that has whatever their uh, code is. So if you basically have a design where you say, okay, any transaction, the country, the national government that's associated with the uh, party that is making the payment has a certain set of rights that they can control and seize and monitor and audit things. So if that transaction is coming from somebody in the United States, the U.S. government has a certain reach over those transactions. But they you know, don't have any reach over transactions that are in between Brazil and Argentina because that's none of their business. Similarly, the recipient of the payment has a national ID and uh, the government of the recipient has a certain set of rights and control abilities. I would design it so that it can be sold to the governments of them all feeling like, look, we're going to totally eliminate tax havens. We're going to completely redesign the global economy so that we, the government, can control and tax everything. And as soon as somebody is our citizen and they've got our country code in that ID field and no payment can be made, you can't buy a pack of gum, uh, a pack of cigarettes without having that ID. And if it's got that government's uh, you know, code in it, that government can control that transaction. One major thing that Bitcoin bulls or bears or a lot of people or otherwise really miss is that they really have to get themselves up to speed in terms of where the global economic system is, where the global currency system is, and understand that they're beautiful technology, which you and I think, uh, I think we're on the same page on this. It'd be hard to uh, disagree that it's not a beautiful thing. Um, but where is it going to fit and why wouldn't they want it? I, 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 don't, I haven't heard quite a good answer to re refute uh, anything that, that you've said on that front. I think this works like anything else in government, which is as soon as the various players figure out how big this is, who controls, if, if, if you can see that there's a logical path that we eventually get to a single digital global reserve currency that everybody uses for all international trade. You know, when somebody invents new technology, immediately the Air Force and the Navy are like, well, it's a, you know, it's a plane, therefore it belongs in the Air Force. No, no, but it's going to be launched from a carrier. It belongs in the Navy. You know, we need to own it is the, is the answer. Yep. And then we're going to start from that answer and logically try to make up a story as to why we need to be in charge of it. Uh, I think everybody who is a power-hungry politician or government bureaucrat in the world is going to see this and say, how do I get my fingers in the middle of it? If you're IMF, you want to be in the middle of this. If you're World Bank, you're saying, hey, world currency, world bank, world digital currency, we're going to become the world digital bank. It's all about us. We're in charge. U.S. is going to say, look, the U.S. dollar is the global currency, the, the global reserve currency. If it makes sense for there to be a new global digital currency, which changes everything and becomes the, the new thing, well, then clearly, obviously, since the U.S. dollar is currently in that role, the U.S. government should be in charge of this. And the PBOC is already saying well, the U.S wants to think that, we better quietly start working on this on our own so that we can get a leg up on them. And that's why I call it an arms race, is I think everybody 
is going to see that there's an opportunity here. And the Bitcoin guys are going to be the tragic heroes in this story. They were the ones who invented the really cool technology. And you better believe that all these governments are going to the blockchain conferences and learning all about how it works so that they can go create the Orwell. Not Bitcoin. That's not going to become, you know, people say Bitcoin is going to replace the dollar as the global reserve currency. That's nonsense. They're going to steal all the cool technology out from under Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and create something that's government controlled. And I think it makes perfect sense. People say, well, why would they allow Bitcoin to continue to exist if that was true? Because they want the Bitcoin guys to keep doing free engineering for them that can be stolen <laughs> by the government. I mean, well, I mean, on top of the fact, some you got free engineering, of course, but you also have, I mean, a tremendous amount of private capital that's going into to the ecosystem that is blockchain development or hash graphing or whatever it may be. There's a tremendous amount of private capital that's going into this. But what you see when you when you kind of go down a couple steps down that line is that they're not all working on Bitcoin or a currency related solution. I mean, it really like I love how you frame that up as it may be Bitcoin itself might be you know, the tragic hero, because it really just perpetuated the development, i.e. the raising of capital to start to go down all these different paths. But they can go in so many wonderful different ways. And that I, I, I think I think you've 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 taken your stand on this. And I think that, you know, not a lot of people will not a lot of people will say, hey, look, Bitcoin is going to be a tragic hero. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if it's a tragedy, it might look like it did you know, this week. By the way, this is uh, one of the worst weeks in the history of Bitcoin. I think in terms of his percentage losses. So um, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate you taking a stand on it because I think a lot of people, uh, particularly in the Twitter sphere and in, in this the social media ecosystem, have been quite frightened to uh, take the other side of this. There's two sides to every debate, and I, I think that this debate, obviously on a tangential basis, has many more sides than that. So thanks for that. Thanks for um, thanks for spending some time with us, Eric. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, and I should mention I did write a uh, white paper on this. We've got uh, a link there, so there's oh, cool. about 20 pages of more detail if anybody wants it. And uh, it's a real pleasure. It's great to see you. Come back to Macro Voices sometime. We miss you. Yeah, Macro Voices again. For all you who have not gone to Macro Voices again, uh, I'll, I'll just be the Canadian uh, knucklehead who's talking about Macro on that, on that Macro Voices show. But he has a tremendous wealth of guests. A lot of people uh, pay attention to that. He's got a huge and growing audience, and that's, that's definitely a place that you should be spending some of your time. So thanks again, Eric. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you soon. He's Eric Townsend. I'm Keith McCullough. He's at Macro Voices. I'm at Hedgeye. In order to find us both, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. As a reminder, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at Hedgeye.com. Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut. Hedgeye Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. This presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. 
Neither Hedgeye Risk Management nor any individual expressing those opinions or conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.